I urge you to stand in the gap, to stay in the gap. This week, I had a couple of people contact me just saying, hey, got your back. It goes a long way. Because I'm telling you, there are times that the enemy does bark. When I stood in the sanctuary two weeks ago and we didn't have church, it hit. It hit. Because I feel like we have God destiny to chase. We have things that are on our God agenda to do. And so today, I'm going to do my best with finishing out a short series that we had talked about with the pastoral staff. My wife often says that I go rogue. Yes. Today I'm going to be speaking about giving. Some of you are thinking I should have missed this week. It's going to be, don't like giving sermons. I've really felt an urging when it comes to giving. As a church, we are blessed financially. People are faithful. But as a church, I know that there are places to go and things that we need to do. I know that when it comes to giving that we can't just say because things seem to be going smoothly, let's just not go there. It's a tough subject. There was a man who was experiencing some chest pains. So he went to the hospital. He was laying in the bed. Family calls the pastor. And they said, they've been telling us that the man, no one should startle him. No one should do anything. Nothing excitement here. Just keep it low-key. And as the pastor shows up and the pastor is about to go in the room someone from the family gets a text it appears that there has been a distant relative who passed away and has left the man a million dollars and so they thought we're going to have to tell him this we'll have the pastor tell him this because you know the pastor knows how to do this in a way and lead up so the pastor enters the room, and the pastor's trying to be calm, and the pastor's leading in, and finally, you know, he, he breaks the ice, and he says to the man, you know, what would you do if you were given a million dollars? And the man said, I'd probably give it all to my church. At that point, the pastor grabbed his chest and needed a bed beside the man. It seems like in church, the idea of money is one of those things that when you talk about giving, people go to places because there have been such abuses, I think, at times throughout history. You know, you had the whole 80s where you had televangelists with air-conditioned dog houses. You had people on their third jet, fourth jet, whatever. And I'm not, I'm not even going there, but I'm saying when people hear this idea of money, they think, oh, well, Pastor Bob needs a jet. I don't. I don't. Not into that. 
but it is a vital subject. And out of the 29 parables that were taught by Jesus, 16 of them had to do with a person and their money. That's something. In some way, that was referenced. So let's jump into this today. You have been entrusted with three areas of life. One is time, another is talent, and the third is treasure. I like when we had that up. I guess somebody has the talent of, well, I don't have the talent of pulling slides because that's a watermark, but someone has the talent of archery, apparently, in this church, according to that slide. But I'm not going to ask if you're a steward. I'm going to tell you that you are a steward. When we stand before God one day, we will give an account of how we were stewards of that time, of that talent, and of that treasure. When it comes to walking as a church family, can you say that you are faithful in those three areas? Of the time God has given, of the talent he entrusted you with, and of the treasure. Generosity, from God's perspective, is a heart issue. We are never more like God than when we are giving. People often reference John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave as Christians, we have a mandate to give. Now, move beyond a minute to the idea, is he talking about money? No, I'm talking about time, talent, and treasure. Come on. There is a verse in the Bible. But before I get to that, there are two things that, as a pastoral staff, we use to guide us. The first one is know your why. Know your why. If you know the why behind something, then you will be able to pursue that goal even when times are tough. You will be able to defend that if questioned. Know your why. And there's a second thing. This is one that Tim says a lot, and I like it. Everything that we say yes to, we're saying no to something else. When it comes to the choices, when it comes to stewardship, every time that I am saying yes, there are things that I am saying no to. It's just the way that it goes. The verse I wanted to share is Proverbs 16 and 3. I like how the English Standard Version says it. Commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. That commit your works, it's also talking about actions. And when it says your thoughts will be established, it means your plans will succeed. The mental picture that it draws is of a person who is pushing a large stone or boulder. They are unable to push it on their own, and so what they do is they appeal to someone else who has the strength to push that weight. But the deal with it is, it's no take-backs. In other words, when I commit something to God, I'm saying, I know that you've got the strength to do this. I can't do this all on my own, but once I give it to you, I'm going to be tempted to take it back. Don't let me take it back. Two of the greatest blessings when we're all in for God. One is that I have a clear conscience. I know that I'm all in. They often say when, when people are telling lies, it's harder to keep all the lies straight than it is just to tell the truth. And when I'm living in the truth and doing what God asked me to do, I don't have to worry or make up these side stories or excuses. I'm just doing what God tells me to do. Another thing is when it comes to the fellowship of the church, I just feel like I'm more of a part when I'm doing all of those things that God asks me to do. There is a picture. I just, I had given, I think it was Tommy Lanning, I'd given this picture. 
It's a picture of Brother Henderson in his work suit, walking in the area where the fellowship hall would be, and Jim McClure walking along the parking lot probably looking for cigarette butts and beer cans because they told the builders there will be none of that because this is God's house. And when I saw it, I just thought that is the heritage. That's the integrity. And so when I show up, I want to be all in like my heroes were all in. I want to stay all in. There's a bold statement, but everything belongs to him. Time, he created every second of it. Talent, he's the one who entrusted it. And treasure, he's the one who distributes it. It has been said in church that unless he is Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. But that is the truth. You can't say, and I just shared this in a grow together last week. You can't say, God, you are like 85% my everything. And one of the things when you think about this, if we believe what we say we believe, if I believe that at any moment Jesus could return, if I believe when I draw this last breath that I will be with him, that this salvation, that this promise, that this hope like an anchor exists, then it's wild when there are other areas of my life that I say he's not capable of having under control. The wording in that verse, it's talking about knowing I can't do it all. As a church, we believe in tithe. Tithe, it means a tenth. As a church, we believe in the first tenth because we feel like it honors God. Had someone talk to me a couple of weeks ago. and They said, I want you to see something. They showed me on a budget that their giving to God was number one on the list. And they didn't do it to brag. They did it because it was prioritized. Because when the money comes in, we know who blessed us with it. And they wanted to prioritize that. They wanted to put him first. Here are verses, if you're wondering, like that's a weird concept. Leviticus 2730. All of the tithe of the land, whether the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's and holy to the Lord. That word holy set apart. Psalm 59 through 10. I will not take a bull from your house nor goats out of your folds. Another version is almost like, do you really think that I need your goats? But every beast of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. Remember who he is. Deuteronomy 14, 22 to 23 You shall surely tithe all the increase of your grain that the field produces year after year. And then it goes on to say to take all of those first things and bring them to the place that God will prepare. And the reason that he wanted them to do that was so that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. Deuteronomy 8, 17, 18. Then you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. There are times we can think that. I'm the one who put in that time to get that promotion. I'm the one who put in that time to get that degree. I'm the one, I'm the one, I'm the one. That's it, I hear you. Chase has got it. 
You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers, as it is to this day. Every cent of my income, every spark of my talent, every second of my time is his. Here is the lie that the enemy is spreading. Just going to be straight with you right now. Let you in, a little insight. The enemy wants you to believe that you have a list, an exhaustive list of things that will bring you security and happiness. On the other side, the enemy wants you to believe that God has a list that does not take into account the desires of your heart. That God's list is one that's against you. That is the lie. Because the truth is, when you press into God, you figure out that the one who made that heart knows how to make that heart happy. And just how I said, sometimes it's easier to trust on my behalf more than for my kids or for people I love. Some of you, the lie that he's feeding is that your kids will never be happy if their life does revolve around church in a way. They're going to miss out on this. They're going to miss out on that. They're going to miss out. I don't feel like I missed out growing up. Were we perfect kids? Nope. But we were imperfect kids at church. And our parents made sure we were there. And nobody was giving us a pass. I'm telling you, don't buy in to the lie. He wants you to believe that if you prioritize using your gifts in God's house in some way, your home will fall into disrepair. He wants you to think, like, why should you do something for free at God's house when you spend all week doing it as a job? I would say to you, it's because God has gifted those hands and that mind to do that thing. And I've said before that I truly believe when it comes to a trade, there is no greater offering than bringing your best of what you do to God's house. Before long, if you believe the lie, then you're going to see the church as competition. You're going to see God as being out to get you. Those statements like we have as a church, like we give up things we love for things we love even more, then you begin to say that's easy for you to say. When I get to a place, when I have everything all together, that's when I'll start whatever. When I get to a place where I feel like my finances are okay, then I will start tithing. When I get to a place where I'm not so physically exhausted all the time, then Sunday will not be my personal day of rest, but I'll get back in church. I feel like I should hide behind here today. But the truth of the matter is that sometimes we are going to have to say yes to some things and no to some things. And we're going to have to understand when we do it for the sake of Christ, not just out of some religious compulsion, obligation, but we do it out of relationship that we want to give him our best, that we'll understand that those desires of our heart will come to pass. They will be there. Remember when I read that, here's what's really wild. I was reading that about the rock, Tommy, and pushing the rock. You know what it referenced? It referenced a man named Jacob. 
man named Jacob pushing a rock off the mouth of a well. When he pushed the rock off the mouth of the well, there was this intersection there. A Rachel intersection, a God destiny intersection. And what we need to understand is that there comes a rock pushing time and you need to be pushing faithfully because God has things in front of you. And it's not like he wants you to jump through hoops like some kind of poodle, some toy poodle just to please him. But there are God intersections that I don't want to miss. And there are places that it may seem like a little work to push whatever's off of the well. But when I approach God's destiny later, it's all going to make sense. And I'm telling you, in God's way, he is whispering, keep pushing. Keep pushing. I'm with you. Whenever you're ready to tap out, when it's too much for you, you give it to me. But you can't have it back. Keep pushing. Keep pushing. I can't say yes to the God plan and my plan at the same time. That's a rough one. I'm still trying that one. Earthly readiness should not be a litmus test for godly obedience. Because I'm never going to feel ready. True story. This will tell you a true story. When we were talking about the next steps with this church and Pastor Nip was going to retire, we had talked about it. We had prayed about it. We'd sought out what would be. There came a point in like December, I think it was. Pastor Nip said, well, we got to get together. And he asked me the question. You ready for this? You know what's wild? I would do terrible in interviews. My answer was, if readiness is based on all the things right now that seem chaotic in my life, then yes, I'm ready. And he could have very well said, that's not the answer I was looking for. It's not giving me any kind of confidence, man. But what it was, was saying, I can't wait till it lines up to be perfect. I can't wait because it's not going to happen. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to be faithful. And I'm going to jump in with both feet. And I'm going to go in the direction that God wants me to go. And I'm going to be faithful to it. So I think he felt better after that, and we ate our biscuits and gravy, and lo and behold, I guess I'm the pastor of the church. So that, in that case, that worked out. But the idea is there are times that you got to say, I'm not ready all the way, but I'm going. But I'm going. Done threw my notes in the floor, don't even know where I am. Get me, I have a story, I have a story. In 1 Timothy 6, 9 through 10, it says this. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But I am not in love with money. Now you say... 
these kinds of things as a church. I mean, have you ever heard someone just like, I love money. But do you know what I have figured out the longer that I have walked with Jesus? You can figure out what people love by the way they defend it when you tread near it. You want to get told off as a pastor? Lovingly approach someone about giving. (laughs) Yeah, it's great. People will tell you it is between me and my God, and you, who are you, and what are your spirit or religion? Get out of here and everything else. And the truth is, you're just saying, but I'm trying to help you out here. Again. I'll tell you something here, but I did something the other day. No, no. <laughs> there is a ministry in this area that bears much fruit. And so I met with the person in charge of the ministry. And I felt like God was urging me to just be a little extra that day. So I was a little extra. And I said, when it comes to ministry, I would like to be able to sow good seed into a ministry. I would like as a church for us to look into sowing good seed and offering into a ministry. But here's what I don't want. And I'm like, just shut up, quit talking, man. I don't want to just pay to keep the lights on on a ministry. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to write project number 6427 for a, a mission. Again, don't get me wrong. I feel like God's challenging us as a church. Like, are you going to be dreamers that chase God's dreams? Because if you are, then quit praying, keep the lights on kind of prayers. Go to the person that is in charge of that ministry and ask them, what crazy God dreams are you afraid to even mention in front of your board because you think they'll think you're crazy? That's what I want to hear about. And that's the kind of church that I want to pastor. I want to be in a place where we, we think somebody says, this might sound crazy, but nope, that sounds like God. I want to be able to sow good seed because God has always seen the dreamer and the dreamer doesn't always stay in the pit. And the dreamer at some points just needs someone to say, you know what? I'm with you. Do you say God crazy? That, it echoes with me. Let's roll. That is how I am praying. It says in Luke twelve fifteen, And he said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness, which is greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. There is a story that was told of a man, and the man's name was. It doesn't matter what his name was, I won't remember. It was a good story, but this man, he passed away. In his will, there was a set of his wishes. It said, 
He would like to donate $2 billion to the city of East St. Louis, another billion and a half to the state of Illinois, two and a half billion for the national forest system, and to top off his list, the person left $6 billion to the government to help pay off the national debt. That sounds amazingly generous, but here's a small problem. The man's only asset when he died was a 1983 Oldsmobile. I say that because this is what can happen in a church. You can say everything that a church should be doing, but if you're not all in, then all you got is a 1983 Oldsmobile. And I'm telling you, when it comes to God plans, get in, get in, get in. Going to be ending in a weird way in a moment. I know that's strange from me, but I will be doing that. I'm going to be calling in the relief here because she's much more professional than I. My question when it comes to that, though, is how is it any different when it comes to God's house? Going to get really real before we end. I know a lot of people that are very conservative. Something that bothers many of my conservative friends is the thought of when people take advantage of welfare. It bothers them. Because there is a base part of them that thinks we should contribute when we can contribute. And it's good when there is help. But we don't want to take advantage. And it's offensive when people take advantage. My question is, how is it any different in the church? In a spiritual sense, I want to pull my weight, Norm. In the way that I put God first, I want to pull my weight. When it comes to my talent, I want to pull my weight. I don't want to depend on Kim Zinni doing twice as much to try to make up for what I'm not doing. When it comes to these things, it is vital that you are all in 100% in all the time. I am not saying it as a scolding. I am saying it because my pastor could look out in a field where he knew that if tithing would have been at this level, then there would have been a gym out there to minister to the community. And you know me in the sports. But the idea is we could minister to a community. We could be doing things if we're all in. And I don't want to feel that we just say yes, but our heart's not really in the yes. When Paul was in prison, I'm going to close out here. The Philippian church did something. They started an early GoFundMe, if you will, and they took up a collection. And they send this money to Paul. And when Paul gets the money, it says in Philippians 4.10, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. He rejoiced. When we're all in, there is joy. In that book, it goes on roughly 20 times to talk about the joy in that church body. It was just a baby church body, but they were joyful. But they rejoiced. Their obedience had a profound effect. 
that God whisper when I sat with that person the other day and I said, I just, I want you to pray about it. We say what's important is a church, but what are we doing in a community? Spoiler alert, I'll just throw it out there. It's Friends of Recovery. I mean, I'm all in. I left part of a pinky there, I think. I'm in. But that's bearing fruit. That is a place that when I sat with Dennis, that man is all in. And he shared something that was a God intersection right there. See, there's a waiting list. They need more spaces. You look at the numbers that outpatient recovery programs don't near the success of these inpatient longer term programs to equip in a godly manner, in a way to remind people who they are in Jesus Christ. And I'm done with the devil getting glory about it. I'm done. I'm ready for Jesus Christ to do things. And so before Dina comes, I just want her to share a practical thing because I'm all over the map. As a church, I want us to be praying. I don't want to do one of these, reach in your pocket, grab some lint, grab a rolled up one and throw it in a plate. What I want us to do over the course of time is talk about some of the fruit that is coming forth from that ministry. I want to be able to highlight some of the bears and lions that are getting killed on a daily basis. And then I want to come to a point as a church in, say, a month, in two months, where we take up an offering where you as a family pray, what would God have me do? No reflection on our church, simply you and God. God, what would you have me do? That's what crazy dreamer faith looks like. And when he said to me, this is going to sound weird, but that's how God works, doesn't it? going to have my wife come and share something practical. She'll close it out. I'll set it up for you. Set up, man. When it comes to being part of a church body, her family, they've been here for a lot of years. When we say we're family, when we say we have each other's back, maybe you just need to hear some ways that we have had each other's back in the past and how we can be today. Amen. I was just sharing with Bob um, one of the things that I thought was important for our church family to understand is the joys, are the joys that come from giving. And he mentioned one of them, which was the joy of a, a clear conscience, which is the most important. Because you know that God has commanded us to pay our tithe. And not just to pay our tithe, but to give sacrificially above that and with joy. 
And when we're not doing that and we're disobeying, we feel it. We feel convicted. We feel not right. And so I want you to experience the freedom and joy that comes when you're in God's hands. But second was the joy of fellowship, of communion with each other, of that family, that sense of family. And I just wanted to share a brief testimony that many of you probably know that were um, part of my life when I was a child, but many of you that are newer don't. That is when we were children and I was in, I think, fourth or fifth grade, um, my dad lost his job. I didn't ask permission, but I don't really need to, right? <laughs> there he is to me. Um, my dad lost his job. He had a great job at Caterpillar, right? And he was laid off and could not find any work. But my parents were very faithful uh, givers. They were faithful in their ties. They were faithful to help other people. And my dad lost his job. And slowly but surely, we began to get behind in our bills and in the things that uh, we needed to pay for. We were in a Christian school at the time. They owned a home, vehicles. And so throughout that time, my parents continued to pay their tithe on what my mom was bringing in, doing here in the basement and doing other things and whatever my dad could find work doing. There came a point where my parents lost their home uh, people came and took our cars. We were pulled out of the Christian school, which was the only security really that I knew at that time. And why am I telling you all this? First is because they stayed faithful with what they had. There were no excuses. And I'm sure that wasn't easy. But they gave what they had. Was it as much as they had before? No. But they gave it. Second is that something I learned when I grew up was that my dad had continued to try and send in partial mortgage payments. And the loan, am I allowed to say this? And the loan officer, um, one of the people from the bank called and said, look, I could lose my job for calling. But I have to tell you, Mr. Lanning, stop sending any money. You're going to lose the house. You'll never catch up. This piddly money you're sending in is not paying the bill, which means every month you still, you're out, they're coming. They're coming to take the house. Please stop. I know your family needs the money. But my dad felt that what was faithful and right was to do what he could do. The people of this church went to the pastor, tried to call and make up our payments to keep our home. Someone in this church went and got my parents' car. Did These are different people. Someone in this church went and put me back in a Christian school. Thank you. They don't want people to know who they were, but they, they saved our lives. They saved mine, if you know my testimony about what happened to me when I was in fifth grade. And the Christian school was a huge, huge part of who I am and what I was supposed to be. Am I telling you that someone in this church is going to go buy you something? No. Okay. What I'm saying is that God used the body of Christ as he did in Acts, as he set up the church to do, to have each other's backs. And because they knew the faithfulness of my parents, they were like, this is not right. 
we are gonna stick together. We are gonna do this because this is the right thing to do. Many of you have bought meals, have bought clothing when you know people need them. You've helped with bills. You've done things like when Audrey's in the hospital, getting Stephen money to pay for food, getting Stephen money to help pay for medical bills, right Steve? Why? Because we're a family, we're in this together. We are trying to do things with the money that's coming in and we hear so many requests. We should be doing, we sh We are we. So the money that we have is the money you give. As, and, and it could be substantially so much more. But I'm not asking because I want to build some kind of monetary kingdom. I'm saying you're missing it. You're missing it. You're missing the joy of celebrating this together when we say, wow, look what this family can do when we come together. I want to encourage you. Some of you, I've heard stories, well, my spouse, you know, won't agree to us giving. I'm on my own. Could I encourage you something? If you want to give, God will make a way. I promise you. But has it become easier to just say my spouse won't let me? I'm not saying that grudgingly. I'm saying, honestly, if you want to give, God will make a way. My parents could not give to the church what they gave before. I'm sure it was embarrassing what they had to give. You may not be able to give 10% of your entire income because your spouse does not agree. We're not asking you to <laughs> bring your marriage in this huge uproar and say, I'm telling you, here's what I would suggest. What do you have? Do you have a Starbucks run every morning before work that you're allowed to use? Are you allowed to go shopping at Target? Are you allowed? Talk to that spouse and say, I feel so in such a pure way that it is so important that what I do have, I want you to know I'm giving up because I'm going to obey God with it. And I'm praying that your heart will change with me as you see why I'm doing it. That is a practical way, but I, I just want to encourage you that if you want to, I promise you God will give you a way to do it. And I promise you will not regret being faithful to the Lord. My parents were given a home that we loved. Someone called them. I have a rental and mentor. And it was so, we loved it. We loved growing up there. We went back to the Christian school we were in. We received our car. My dad got his job back. God prospered our family. It doesn't mean we didn't suffer because we paid tithe. But in the end, we received the blessing of community, first of all. And the bonds that we have with those people, these people, our church family, is a lifelong bond because we were in it together. So I just want to encourage you. I want to pray, and then we're going to dismiss. If you are not a giver in our church, the way that we do that now, we don't take up offerings. The ushers are in the back at the end of every service. We don't say this every service. That's why I'm just reminding you. They're in the back. There are tithe envelopes in the front of your pew. You can fill them out, put them in, and that gives you tax credit, or you cannot and not get it. That's totally up to you. 
but I want to encourage you to be faithful and, and test. The Bible says that is the one thing it says, test me and see. But don't test him like, yeah, we'll see. No, really believe. Really believe. And I promise you he won't let you down. I promise. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your generosity. God, you're such an amazing, generous, big God. I thank you that what we can give, Lord, is, is really not even needed by you. It's just an honor of recognition that you are in control and that we're okay with you being in control. In fact, we, we see it as a privilege to put you in the driver's seat of our life, of our finances, our time, our abilities. I thank you for your word. I pray there would not be any fear in this building. Right now, I take authority over the fear that tries to hold on because they're afraid of lack. God, we know that's not from you. And any frustrations or bitterness that may be in their hearts from other things where they've been taken advantage of or, or they've seen things done wrong, Lord, just create in us a clean heart right now, a fresh start with you. And the joy of the vision and the dreams that lie ahead, God, we are excited. We just thank you and we praise you in your name. Amen.